What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of Be Shafe Daily Live. As tonight, Wednesday night, April 19th, 2023, we're talking some Cardinals baseball and the big win from Wednesday over the Diamondbacks, 14-5 at Bush Stadium. And boy, was this one the Cardinals absolutely needed to have. Excited to be here live with you guys on YouTube right now. If you're watching this live, if you're watching back, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well to keep up with all of our Cardinals content throughout the season. If you're in the chat right now, let me know. Let me know what you want to be talking about, your impressions of today's game. But I want to begin by just talking about how I think it was very important tonight for the Cardinals to get this type of win. And I'm not talking specifically about the fact that it was 14-5. to Like, that's great. Uh, you you get the reaction from some people who go, hey, save some for the for the next game, which has kind of been a historical trend for these Cardinals teams where uh, we've kind of harped on the fact that they'll score 14 runs one day and then the next day they'll score two or they'll score one. And that could be sort of a source of frustration. But I think this year, more than any other year, we weren't maybe expecting to have that be a common trend because the offense feels like it's deeper one through nine than it's been in a while. And I know you've heard me say that before. And you might be thinking, Brendan, the results right now are not bearing that out. The Cardinals began the day 7-11 and on the season. Not good. Last place in the NL Central. The Brewers, and it, it happened again today, they refuse to lose right now. And so that's maybe a little bit of a, a, a source of consternation for Cardinals fans as it's going to be difficult, right, to climb back into the NL Central race. And right now, I know it's only mid-April, but it feels like in some ways the Cardinals are out of it because you go, Man, you look up and there's a six-game deficit there already. The Brewers are going to come back down to earth, and I've been saying the Cardinals are going to play better baseball than we've seen from them so far this season. Last night was maybe the first time where I wondered if that was actually true, and I talked about it on B-Shafe Daily after the 8-7 loss on Tuesday to the Diamondbacks. You can go back on your Spotify, Apple, or YouTube feed to check out that episode of the show But the reason I say that is there were just some moments in that game on Tuesday where I wasn't sure if the Cardinals were playing that traditional brand of Cardinals baseball where you hustle all out, you do things the right way, all of the little things that we've come to hear so much about when it comes to the Cardinal way, right? You might kind of roll your eyes and scoff at that, but I think there is some truth to the Cardinal way and the expectations of the way that this team wants to play baseball every time they hit the field. And I would say that there have been some times recently where you look and go, I don't know if that's, does this look like Cardinals baseball to you? I'm talking about a few different base running things, a few different defensive things, uh, just some things that you look at and go, am I seeing the right Cardinal team out on the field right now? It doesn't feel like what I'm used to seeing with the Cardinals. And I'm not saying it was anything over the top or uh, like significantly problematic, but it just looked a little bit off. And it led to a lot of y'all out there questioning like, Has Ollie Marmel lost the clubhouse? Is this team really on a bad path? And all of these things that feel a little reactionary for mid-April, I'll admit. But at the same time, I can understand Cardinals fans having frustration about the way things had been going when the team was 7-11. and And so I I preface tonight's episode by talking about the bad that they were in just 24 hours ago because I feel like a game like Tuesday, even though you did come back in the game, for the first, you know, whatever it was, six, seven, eight innings, you were like, man, this is really just a drag. Once they give up the uh, sixth spot in the fourth there, it felt like just a, a blowout at Bush Stadium and a game the Cardinals just weren't going to have any involvement in. But they did come back. And there are no moral victories in this game, but 
didn't it show you a little bit of fight from the team that they were able to do that? And the fact that a guy like Wilson Contreras can have two home runs yesterday and maybe sort of build onto the run that he had been on the last few days with just so many extra base hits. He had six in three days coming into today when he was able to do uh, another nice, uh, I think he had a double today offensively. So continuing to build on that and having the new guy be the one to be sort of the guy to light the fire, I think is significant. And it was just getting to the point where you were wondering when that moment was going to come, when the Cardinals would find their edge back, right? Because I hadn't seen a team recently that really has that competitive edge and that fire that you're used to seeing. Wilson Contreras is exactly the kind of guy that can supply that, and I feel like he did that a little bit today. And If you saw his interactions with Madison Bumgarner, that was maybe the moment where you go, hey, the Cardinals are getting their edge back. And I would say it even happened earlier in the game on Wednesday where they seemed desperate. They seemed like a team desperate to regain an edge and to prove that they had one and that they weren't going to give it up as easily as maybe they had uh, the last few weeks where it just didn't feel like a sense of desperation had really emerged at all. It just felt like maybe they're kind of sleepwalking through the beginning of the season and they're too talented to be doing that. And I'm not saying there's anything in particular that you can point to, but it just felt like the vibes were a little bit off and you d- you didn't know necessarily what to pinpoint it on. Everybody has had different opinions on what the problems are and have been. And I'm not saying one big win like today fixes it, but it does feel like this was a game top to bottom that, I mean, if you've got Nolan Arenado, and I tweeted this out, but if you've got Nolan Arenado, who might be the slowest guy on the team, involved in a double steal and it works and, you know, they throw it into center field and that leads to another run. Like, that's Cardinals baseball being played aggressively and them saying, you give us an inch, we're taking a mile. That's the edge that I feel like the Cardinals have been missing a little bit. And so if today in a 14-5 to win over the Diamondbacks was the thing that can get that back for them, more power to the St. Louis Cardinals because that is what they need. And I feel like more so than the score, and we'll talk about the nitty-gritty of the game and anything y'all want to talk about as it pertains to, to individual players, but I thought that was the most important thing that happened today was, yes, the score was impressive, but the edge and the the feeling surrounding the game is something that might be more sustainable than just any other 14-5 to win. They they were relentless offensively. They didn't get a great pitching performance from Jake Woodford, right? Like, he's your number five starter, and, and the guy that's going to replace him in the rotation more than likely is uh, making his first rehab assignment today uh, in Springfield. And so you get five innings and four runs from him. Yeah, the home runs are uncharacteristic of what Woodford has been in the past, but hey, this is exactly what they needed. Go offense, do it. Like, take a game from somebody and just back up your starter to the extent that if, if he goes five, gives you four, that's not great, but it keeps you in the game. That's that's what you need from your number five starter. Didn't get completely blown out of the stadium, gave up a couple of dingers, but the offense is the thing that can drive this ship, and it did today, and it did so with an edge that I thought had been sort of missing from this Cardinals team previously. Let me know what you think. I'm finally going to dive into the comments here and, and go off of what y'all want to talk about, uh, but wanted to kind of give that opening statement about the way I felt about today's Cardinals game and uh, how important I think it can be as maybe a catalyst for this team. It's one of those deals where you wish they didn't have an off day tomorrow because today we saw a lot of the things that you're saying. That is that is a way to build some momentum moving forward, uh, but they, they hopefully will be able to sustain it as they go on this trip. But let me know what you think, whether or not you think it's going to happen that way or uh, if this was maybe a one-off and, and you still got major concerns about this Cardinals team. Uh, if you're in the stream, welcome. If you haven't liked and subscribed to the channel, please do so real quick. We've got six likes on the video. I see 12 of y'all in here. Give it a like. I'm going to take some water, and then I'm going to roll right through the comments here as we uh, discuss this team and, and this game from Wednesday. As I definitely did not put the water bottle lid on tight enough. That was weird. 
yeah, I screwed that up. It's not, that's not functional. There's water all over my shorts. That's cool. Okay. Let's go ahead and dive on in. Uh, Trevor says that Nolan Gorman makes him feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, so here's the funny story about Nolan Gorman, right? I play in a few different uh, fantasy baseball leagues, and I've got Nolan Gorman in one of them. Uh, He's a long-term keeper for me. I was pretty high on him coming into the season. Somehow forgot to list him among my keepers before the draft, and I was down to my final $3 in the auction draft uh, that we held at somebody's house, and so everybody's there in person, and I'm, I'm panicking. Like, I'm in this draft, and I realize... Holy S, I did not protect Nolan Gorman as one of my keepers. This is bad. Uh, I'm down to my last $3, and I am about to pitch a fit, man, because I'm like, somebody's going to pay $4 for Nolan Gorman. Nobody did. So I got him back, and uh, that's great news. The problem is he wasn't starting today against the lefties, so he was he was on my fantasy bench. So did not get the uh, benefit of that grand slam. But, yes, Nolan Gorman, all-star candidate, without a doubt. And I think the thing that is next in his progression – is something that the Cardinals are going to have to allow him to do or not. And that's play against lefties, at least some lefties. Madison Bumgarner, he's a guy that's on kind of the other end of his career arc and his spectrum, uh, on the on the downturn, if you will. And so it's not like facing Madison Bumgarner of old. Uh, and I feel like that would have been maybe an opportunity to put Nolan Gorman into the starting lineup and see how it looks because he is of the talent level that you'd like to think he's not just a career platoon guy. But he's young for now. And the younger he is with the more opportunity for development in front of him that he has, you'd like to say that there's time for him to turn into a more complete hitter. But if the Cardinals don't give him the opportunity to do that, I I think that can be something that can be a little bit detrimental to his progress in the future. Uh, Earlier today, I'll give a plug to another podcast. Derek Gould's the best podcast in baseball. He and uh, Ben Fredrickson had a great conversation that's worth going to listen to um, just about sort of the pitching development side of things for the Cardinals over the recent years and how maybe guys that have gone away, like an Alcantara or a Zach Gallen, and even Johan Oviedo could be a more recent example of this. We'll see how he fares with the Pirates. But there's something to the fact that like the Cardinals have always had to win every day. Like They're year in, year out trying to be competitive. You don't really have an opportunity to struggle as a young player through the process of learning to become a big leaguer. And I thought about that and thought that could be applicable to Nolan Gorman with the way the Cardinals are treating him as a platoon guy, they're going to play him every single day when there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound. But against lefties, he's not getting that same opportunity to develop. And that's fine. I think it's probably the best thing for the team if you've got, uh, on a daily basis, other guys that can be more competitive in those at-bats. Uh, Brendan Donovan's a left-handed hitter as well, but I think they trust him a little more to stay in the lineup against lefties. Um, but right now, Taylor Motter is the guy that that slides in instead with Donovan a little bit banged up. And, I, you know, it's not to denigrate Taylor Modern, anyway, he's done a lot to earn his spot on this team, and he had a nice base hit today uh, before they removed him for Gorman when the uh, righty relievers began coming into the game. So I'm not trying to to diminish Taylor Modern anyway, but I feel like if you're looking long-term, you go, man, Nolan Gorman being able to turn into a complete slugger would be such a benefit. But the Cardinals are in a position where every day they're trying to compete and win and, and try to be competitive. And so I wonder if that maybe stunts the development of a guy like Nolan Gorman who just won't have the opportunity to maybe learn on the fly against left-handed pitching and be able to see what it looks like. Uh, I think it would be to his benefit. Now, obviously, the decision works out. Motter gets a base hit, and he goes one for two, and then later on they can bring in Nolan Gorman halfway through the game, which is probably the plan all along. Um, But I I, I do think there is something to the fact that Nolan Gorman doesn't have the chance to work through any struggles he might have against lefties. And so later on in his career, if he's to try that, he's however many hundreds of repetitions behind the eight ball compared to where he would have been. 
Um, but yeah, he can sure tee off against anybody uh, and, and did so today with the Grand Slam. Tommy Edmond was fantastic today as well. I'm sure some of the comments will be in here about him. And here's Craig who comments, so that allows me to just run right off with this next thought I have about Edmund, which, by the way, new people into the stream, welcome. Like the stream if you haven't done so. Let's get the likes up a little higher and subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't done that before uh, because we'll be doing this a lot. This is kind of the part of the uh, the calendar where we go into more live videos um, because the Cardinals are on the road, so I won't be covering these games coming up. Granted, it is a West Coast road trip, and so what that means is uh, maybe some late nights for these videos. But listen, if we even get a handful of people in here that enjoy it, if it's 11 p.m., it's 11 p.m., we can have some fun with that still. So who knows? Make sure you're subscribed to YouTube, and, and then and that way you won't miss anything as we go along uh, breaking down this Cardinal season. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Let's talk about Tommy Edmund from the right side uh, and Tommy Edmund from the left side, as Craig mentions, because I had a tweet early in the game where I had just been thinking about this more and people have been bringing it more to my attention. It seems like every time we see Tommy Edmund go on a little bit of a slide against right-handed pitching, there's the conversation that emerges, hey, could this guy just give up switch hitting and become a right-handed hitter only because he absolutely pummels lefties? And it's really a difficult chicken or the egg question where is it because he's batting against left-handed pitching that he's doing so well? Or is it because he's batting from the right side that he's doing so well? Or is it a combination of the two? And it's almost definitely a combination of the two, but it's very easy for us to look at his numbers against left-handed pitching and go, oh my gosh, if he could just do that all the time, bat right-handed, it's I mean, that solves world hunger. This is incredible. But then you look at his batting average and his numbers without the, the typical power from the left side of the plate, that's when he's normally facing right-handed pitching. And you go, oh boy, this is he should just be a right-handed hitter only. We have the same conversation about Dylan Carlson a lot of times because you look at his numbers historically, it's a very similar split. And the power, I think, for both guys is better from the right side. Tommy Edmond begins this game today by demonstrating that, just absolutely teeing off on Bumgarner. He finishes the day with a home run, a triple, and a double. He is a single short of the cycle. I tell you, he always demands the second bag, and then occasionally more than that. And that's what you saw today from Tommy Edmond. However... However, as Craig mentions, that third hit, the triple, did not come against the lefty. came against the righty, where he's batting from the left side. And so that made me look like I picked a really bad day to have this conversation. I think that over the course of time, maybe Tommy Edmond can continue to develop from the left side, and he has continued to work at that. But I do wonder, I do wonder if that might be something that uh, limits him in terms of his overall ability to have power. If he were just a right-handed hitter, what would it look like? And I know it's probably not going to happen because you think about a guy making it to the major league level. He's gotten there by what? By doing what he's done his whole life to get there. And who am I to sit here on the sidelines and tell him, oh, you need to you need to only be a right-handed hitter. I think that's ridiculous. That is typically my stance is this guy's a pro athlete, and I'm not, and there's a reason for that. So I'm going to trust his judgment. Uh, but it is something that fans talk about a lot, and I had been wondering about it a little bit as well. When you look at his numbers, something like 7 for 48, from the left side of the plate coming into the day. And I think he had more hits even uh, from the right side with just far fewer at-bats. He's like 8 for 11. Uh, somebody can probably grab me those updated totals. 
but it's a it's a wide discrepancy, and we know sort of the same with Dylan Carlson. So when those guys lead off the game against a lefty by doubling, and then Dylan doubles in Tommy, it's like it, it makes it too easy to talk about. But that's why they're batting one two in the lineup. By the way, the Cardinals kill lefties, and part of the reason for that is yes, you've got the guys in the middle like Arenado, Goldschmidt that historically have done well against left-handed pitching. They're right-handed hitting sluggers. It makes perfect sense. But when you also are able to add guys like Carlson and, and Tommy Edmond to that mixture, that makes it even more valuable. And that's why the lineup has a lot of times some very good luck against left-handed pitching. They just have too, they're just too deep with guys that can pummel it. And you add Contreras to that. You add a right-handed swinging Jordan Walker to that. I mean, Tyler O'Neill should typically be in that same boat as well. The only guy that really goes the other way is Nolan Gorman. Um, but you still find ways to overcome that. And then you get him right into the game after righties come in. It's a really interesting mix. Um, but one of the things I thought about, too, when it comes to the switch hitting stuff, I don't know if you guys saw this. I made reference to it today on Twitter. But the Cardinals hitting coach, Turner Ward, shortly after he got the job in November, he went, I think it was November, November, December, something like that. He went on MLB Network and was asked specifically about those two guys. And, and maybe as a guy who's a former switch hitter, Turner Ward, how does he go about teaching and coaching the switch hitters differently than maybe some of his other players. And his first reaction was to say, well, try to convince him not to. And then he kind of laughed and said, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But I do wonder if there is some of that where the Cardinals can look at these analytics and go, man, I wonder what it would be. I wonder if it is the chicken or the egg. And if it's the, the one that says these guys can just swing it better from the right side, then wouldn't that be a world? But they've, they've only seen right-handed pitching from the left side because they've been doing this however long they've been switch hitting. And so it's hard to get a guy to change and you may not just automatically get the results that you think you would when they're suddenly looking at the ball coming in from a different angle and all of those things. But it sure is an interesting conversation. And Tommy kind of put the kibosh on it a little bit by tripling uh, from, from the uh, left side of the plate. So I thought that was interesting today as well. And I swear I can't get this lid on. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. I've never had this problem before. And now suddenly I do. It's not that interesting, though, so I'll let it go. Uh, let's see. Ma uh, Brent says, a year ago, I would have been on Mad Bum's side of the altercation. Yeah, and I and I get what he's saying there now that I read through it a little bit. Contreras was a Cub last year, and so people would, Cardinals fans would look at that and go, oh, Contreras is mouthing off, you know, whatever. This is exactly why you want Wilson Contreras on your team, Cardinals fans. Not only because of the production that he's going to give you, but because he's a little bit of a red ass, and, and Mad Bum is sure a red ass, and Contreras is like, Fine, I'm going to give it right back to you because you're full of it, and I'll tell you to your face. Uh, you know, basically, we, we could say that the really censored version of what he said was shut up and pitch, um, but we know that there were some extra words in in maybe both of those parts of the sentence. Uh, and, I, and I thought maybe and pitch might have been generous. I don't know if and pitch is what he said. I think it might have been, but there's some things that rhyme with that that you could imagine. So I, I'm just saying that, uh, Cardinals fans might have looked at that a little differently last year, the, the way that Brent mentioned, and I think he's right. But, man, how much do you love having that guy on your team? That's, I mean, we've talked about this going back into uh, December or January, whenever it was that he signed. The notion that from the very beginning, like down at spring training, I've got Cardinals fans telling me, yeah, Wilson Contreras uh, was was there signing autographs for people, and someone said, oh, I'm going to get this for my my friend who's a Cubs fan and show him this picture. And, we'll, and, and it's going to make him cry. And Wilson Contreras, as the story goes, says, oh, he's going to be crying for a long time. Like, this guy's got game. He spits trash talk, and he backs it up on the field. That's the type of edge that I think the Cardinals could absolutely use more of. Like, they've got guys with an edge. 
They've got an Arenado who's going to get absolutely pissed off when things are not going well, when he's not producing for him and his team. He cares as much as anybody out there, and that's good. Arenado is is I, I get it that some people might sometimes say, "Dude, it's April. What are you breaking it bad for?" I don't know. I think that there's a, a bit of an edge to that. That it's clear that he's never going to be content with mediocrity, and so you get a clubhouse full of guys like that. I think if he had 26 Arenados, it might be a problem because there might be some heads that get butted. But it's not like he's a disrespectful teammate or anything like that. He just has such expectations of himself, and that shows in the way that he that he conducts himself on the field. And I don't really see any issue with it, honestly. But Wilson Contreras approaches it in a similar but different way where he's, he's keeping in check the negative emotions that, as he can, but the positive emotions, the momentum when things are going his way, he's as good as maximizing that as anybody in the game. And Cardinals fans have seen that from the other side, and now they're getting to see it on their side and making Mad Bum look like a fool. Because Mad Bum can bitch about his thing, and Wilson Contreras can come right back at him. But only one of them won 14-5 to today. Only one of those guys did. So I really think there's a value. And that's what I mean when I talk about the edge. That's so valuable to what Contreras brings to this team. And now the fact that he's producing offensively, look out. I mean, for real. That is such a value to a team. And, and that the Cardinals can have a game like today where your stars... Arnauto and Goldschmidt, your two MVP candidates from last season, combined to go, what, 0 for 7? They both walk, so they're on base once. Arnauto got the stolen base. But, like, that's not what you'd expect to produce a 14-run day for the Cardinals. But now you've got a guy like Wilson Contreras who can add to it. He goes 2 for 3, had two runs scored, walked twice as well, ends up with another double today. Like, that is the type of guy that, I'm not saying MV3, but you absolutely have to factor Contreras in when you say, oh, the Cardinals had a big day offensively. There's a pretty good chance he's going to be part of that. And I know Cardinals fans were down on him five days ago. But guys, did you really think that was going to last forever? I mean, this guy's got such a pedigree, and he wants to win as much as anybody in that clubhouse as well. Him and Arenado are very similar. And it's not that Paul Goldschmidt isn't the exact same way. He's just maybe a little more quiet in the way he goes about it more often than not. But look at Wilson Contreras, man, all of a sudden, 809 is that OPS. He's right at his MLB average for his career. 808. He's one point above. Wilson Contreras is going to be just fine. He's he is a catalyst right now for what the Cardinals are doing. <clears throat> so that's been really cool to see. Uh Trevor Madbum really filled the shoes of his nickname today. Very mad, very bum. That is a very good line, Trevor. I appreciate that. And Austin says he's washed. Popcorn Flicks is in the house. What a game. Rhino, good to be here, man. Hey, good to have you here. Make sure you subscribe to the stream, uh, to the uh, YouTube channel. Appreciate you, man. Redbirds is in. The offense will be great, I think. I think the offense will be great as well. I've been trying to say it. I've been feeling like a like a dummy a couple of the nights that I've said it because it, it feels like it's a difficult thing to continue to say, hey, guys, there's variance involved here. They're going to start coming through with, with runners in scoring position. They're too good not to. Uh, the the variance on the, the, the bounces of the baseball are not going their way in those spots. Continue to look at the exit velocity. Continue to look at all of the, the pedigree on this roster. It's going to be there. I still say this could be a team that leads the league at run scored. Um, they'd have to go on a, a nice run to do that, but there's five and a half months, whatever it is, of baseball left where they could still go on that type of run. I think this is ultimately going to be the best offense the Cardinals have had in you know five years, whatever. Go back, go back to since I've started covering the team in 2016. I think this could be the best offense they've had in that span. I really do believe that. Um, there are still some things that need to get ironed out for sure. The consistency is one of them, but I just feel like there's too much talent to, to struggle the way that they were for 18 games. And not to say that it's all behind them because of one game, 
but I do think the talent level is going to ultimately rise to the top. It's difficult to hear as a fan. I'm not calling fans wrong for saying, uh, yeah, I, I was worried before and maybe I still am because there's a lot to be uh, you know, uh, upset about when things aren't going the team's way and the record is what it is. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, I don't know if you guys saw this on Jeff Jones's Twitter account, but he, uh, he and Katie were waiting down in the clubhouse for Goldie last night. I bounced because I had to get home. And I, just, I when I do these podcasts late at night, it's just like some nights I got to pick my spots and get home a little earlier so I can get some sleep. But with uh, Goldschmidt, I was like, he's going to come out and he's probably going to have something good to say. Check out Jeff Jones on Twitter. He had the full quote posted from Goldschmidt uh, of what he had to say about just the, the way they expect things are going to turn around. But at the same time, he said, like, our record is what it is. Like, it, this is a very fair game. And the scoreboard doesn't lie. And over the course of time, that becomes even more true. And so while everybody in this clubhouse is still confident and still excited about the season, um, you know, if, if we're looking back at this a few months from now and we didn't turn it around, this will have been the thing that foretold the future of this this season. But doesn't believe that's going to be the way it goes. But he's very pragmatic about it, which I appreciated in that comment from Goldschmidt. And so I feel like the Cardinals sort of take that sort of mindset of, hey, Let's recognize at the end of the day that there are no excuses for our play. And at the end of a season, the scoreboard is going to tell the story whether we wanted to or not. We're not going to be able to say after 162 games, well, the variance was there and the balls didn't bounce our way. Nuh-uh. Not over 162. And the fact that you as a Cardinals fan can hear Paul Goldschmidt admit that, hey, we're still confident that it's going to turn around, but we also have to acknowledge that at a certain point, we won't be able to say it's early anymore. I thought that was so valuable. And uh, appreciated reading that from from Jeff when I saw that this morning, but in terms of the offense, yes, I tend to agree that it's going to be going to be great, and it it was great today, that's for sure. Scrolling back up here a little bit, uh, yeah, Trevor mentions uh, like when Tyler O'Neill should have had a triple, guys. And I'm not trying to call out Tyler O'Neill specifically, but when you see it, what's our job in in covering this team if not to say, hey, what's going on with that? Like Tyler O'Neill was the guy that had the whole dust up with Ollie over his perceived lack of effort. And I would say that on that initial play where he was rounding third base and it didn't look right and he got thrown out, all of the brouhaha surrounding that, I was sort of up in the air on whether it was specifically an effort play or if I could take Tyler's side with the benefit of the doubt and go, all right, he just had so much he was thinking about there and he just failed. The execution failed, but he wasn't being lazy. He wasn't dogging it. Yesterday, when he hit one off the wall and only ended up at second instead of making a triple out of it, despite the ball careening all the way back, you know, 40, 50 feet toward the infield should have been on third base, right? He was home run trotting it and it cost him an extra bag. Ultimately, it ended up being fine. That was the play that Taylor Motter allowed the run to score on because he ran through the bag at second base. And I guess what happened there is, and we talked about this yesterday, but I guess what happened is the the rule is once it's called the end of the inning, you can't like retroactively tag the guy and say, okay, uh, in case you want to overturn it, I did still tag him, so he's out. Like it's a dead ball after that. And so once they overrule it and say he's safe, the the fact that he ran through the bag is irrelevant. He, he gets to go have that base back, which is probably why the Cardinals teach it that way because they know that's true, uh, which is just, again, if you want to say that Mike Matheny and Ollie are the same guy, I'll laugh at you first of all, but then I'll say, I'll point to stuff exactly like that and say they know the rules and are able to exploit them in ways that other teams don't always think about that. I'm not saying the Cardinals are the only team that's going to know that play, but we've seen it multiple times from them to know that it's ingrained and Ollie Marmel is leading this clubhouse. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I think it's a, I think it's a valuable play and uh, was cool to see them execute it that way yesterday. One second. I swear I'm going to be up till 2 AM trying to figure out this water bottle and why it keeps leaking on me. <clears throat> uh, let's see. 
do you think they miss the leadership of Yachty is something that Trevor asks. I'm going to say no. No, having been in the clubhouse hundreds of times over the last few years, in Yachty's clubhouse and in the clubhouse now, I think the leadership of this clubhouse is in a very good spot. And I know that when you see things on the field sometimes and go, this doesn't look like Cardinals baseball. Has Ollie lost the clubhouse? Is the clubhouse in, you know, all of these things, which I understand, like, it's concerning to see some of the things that we've seen on the field at times. However, when I look in the clubhouse and I recognize Paul Goldschmidt, Arenado, these guys have been doing it for so long, and they're kind of the heartbeat of this thing. Adam Wainwright, when he's around, which he's going to be around again soon, uh, he's the heartbeat of this thing. Wilson Contreras is is cut from that same cloth, man. So I get it. I get it. It's a Yachty thing, and everybody wants to worship Yachty, and Yachty was great. Don't get me wrong. I don't think this clubhouse misses a single beat uh, without him. I really don't. I think it's not because of its denigrating Yachty. It's to say the guys that are still here do an amazing job of that as well. So I think there's enough to go around that something needs to be said. It's going to get said. Something needs to be shown with action instead of a speech. It's going to get shown with action instead of a speech, and the, the guys that need to see it and pick up on it are going to. I still believe that, and I, I have faith in this Cardinals team that it's a good team. Uh, again, like Goldschmidt said, time's going to tell. He's not blowing smoke and saying, no, it's early, we're going to be fine. He's saying, we think we're going to be fine, but also we have to acknowledge that the scoreboard doesn't lie. At the end of 162, this game is a fair game, and you're going to be what your record says you are. And so we're going to be able to say we think, we think, and, and it looks like we're going to turn it around and all of these things, but there will come a moment in their season where the leader of that clubhouse knows that you you won't be able to say that anymore, so your play better start to back it up. I think that's valuable. I think that's the kind of thing that shows where this clubhouse is, and uh, I think it's in good hands with a guy like Goldschmidt uh, and, and some of the other veterans that are that are the leaders in that group. Uh, popcorn, and it's a good question, Trevor. I, I understand why you ask it. Uh, popcorn flicks, I'm over the Tyler O'Neill experiment. I don't think that it needs to be an experiment. Like, the experiment of him playing center field is over, as I've detailed the last few days. You can just tell that it's not something that they're going to be dead set on doing. They're not going to continue to play O'Neill in center in games that Dylan Carlson is participatory. Like, they're not. He's going to be, it's going to be Carlson in center, O'Neill in left. It's what they did last night, and they both made at least one great play from those respective positions. I think the experiment of O'Neill, like being on the team, there's no reason for that to be over. I just think you can't, pardon me, you can't automatically assume his playing time is going to dwarf some of these other guys. Like, it shouldn't automatically be that that he's an everyday guy and regardless of performance, regardless of circumstance. So I don't think it's worth dogging Tyler O'Neill like he shouldn't be on the roster. I do think it's an interesting conversation when you when you look at the fact that we expect Jordan Walker to become a guy that you don't ever want to take out of the lineup with his bat. So he's kind of taken up a spot daily. The Cardinals, at least through the winter, said that Lars Newpar was going to be that guy as well. They have seen big strides from Alec Burleson, and you have Nolan Gorman playing DH for the most part on days that Alec Burleson is going to want to be in the lineup because Burley will play against right-handed pitching. So will Gorman. So, like, that's the rub with it. Oh, and Dylan Carlson is by far your best defensive option in center field. And he's also like 24 years old and maybe you shouldn't give up on his bat yet as well. That's the difficulty. And so am I a math major? No. Can I say that maybe a trade would be needed to do that to like fix the issue? I guess it's a good problem to have, especially when somebody gets hurt and then you go, Hey, we still have depth even after an injury that would, you know, like right now, Brendan Donovan's on the mend. They don't miss him because Gorman can slot in and play second base and then you can have Burleson at DH and you don't miss a beat because now you get one of your extra good defenders like Dylan in the lineup on a daily basis. 
that's a benefit, not a not, not a uh, it's a feature, not a bug, right? So I understand the point of looking at any individual outfielder and going, oh man, I'm sick of this guy if they're struggling, right? But I don't think you have to just say, oh, get him out of the lineup, get him off this team. What's interesting though is people would say, hey, they have too many outfielders, trade one for a starting pitcher. That's great on, on paper. How many teams are looking to acquire Tyler O'Neill for a a top, you know, three in your rotation starting pitcher? I'm going to say the, the number is zero. Not a slight to Tyler O'Neill, but teams aren't looking to trade starting pitchers. Period. And they've got outfielders too. They might not be as good as Tyler O'Neill, but you know they they're going to work with the guys that they've got rather than give up somebody that they can believe in for the future as a as a starter, especially a young one with team control. So. Any of those fictional trades that you think would make sense for the Cardinals, they do, but they don't necessarily make sense for other teams, which is why those deals have not come to fruition yet. I'm not saying it wouldn't be possible. And like Dylan Carlson would be a better example of somebody that I would think would have more value because teams probably appreciate the defensive value and the switch hitting potential ability, the potential to do more offensively, although his his hard hit numbers and his exit velocity would have to come up because it's a very metrics-oriented game now now in, in Major League Baseball with the analytics craze. Uh, so teams would have to believe that they're getting a good hitter in Carlson too, but they also value control. And Dylan Carlson's younger with more team control attached to him before you got to pay him in free agency. And so that would be a guy that I would think could maybe get that. But if I'm the Cardinals... I don't think I'm comfy trading away my best defensive center fielder. Um, But then again, if I'm not using him, what does that look like? And that might be a reason behind the curtain why the Cardinals have been so hell-bent on saying, can Tyler O'Neill or Lars Nupar prove to be an above-average center fielder? Because if so, then maybe it does make the most interesting commodity in in a Carlson in terms of the value he would have to other teams because of his team control. Maybe that makes him more available in a trade for the Cardinals, and that might be a guy that other teams would be interested in. But I still wouldn't be giving up on Dylan Carlson personally, but I understand it's a hard conversation when you've got five guys for three spots on a daily basis. But if somebody tears their ACL tomorrow, which would be weird because they don't play tomorrow, but if it happened, then you would at least go, well, good thing we didn't trade somebody because there's still four guys that are really good or at least really capable out there to hold down the fort. So, that's where it's a really interesting conversation. Bird Calls, and, and along those lines, uh, Bird Calls asked the question, and welcome to the show, Bird Calls. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, guys. Subscribe. I would love to to look after the video, and I, I gained a few subscribers because it's it makes it all worth it here. Um, why is the team so enamored with Burleson? What supposedly gain on offense does not make up for what you lose on defense? Um, so I don't know if I agree with that for sure. Um, I'm just going to pull right now Alec Burleson's numbers up for the season. I know that they had been pretty darn good, and uh, I assume that they're still pretty solid. Uh, two home runs. We know he hit the home run uh, the other night. Uh, 785 OPS. The batting averages dipped a little bit to 250. The on-base has not been high at 304, but he has slugged at a 481 clip. So like a 785 OPS, for instance, that's about Lars Newbar territory from last year. And Lars Nupar had a really good offensive season. I think the Cardinals see Burleson ultimately as a guy that should hit higher than 250, should be closer to like 270 um, because he is very contact-oriented. That's why they have him up in the lineup against right-handed pitching. They think as a lefty, he can just put bad to ball, and the power and the exit velocity is there. Uh, I should say the exit velocity is there. The power will come as he adjusts maybe more to the launch angle uh, style of play, and he could be a guy that hits 20 home runs in a year at that point. But... I, I do think they like his offense. I agree that it's tricky, though. And that's why I said it'd be nice to have a, a, him at the DH, but 
you've got Gorman there playing so well. And that's why there's competition at every spot on this roster. Brendan Donovan's hurt the last couple of days, but if he plays for a month and he's starting all the time and you look up and go, he's hitting, he got an OPS of 592. You can't play Brendan Donovan at that point. I'm not saying you're going to have that, but they have to reward the performance because there's a world in which you go, hey, Gorman is our everyday second baseman. Now we get to DH Burleson and we get a better outfielder in left field. Like, I don't know, the guy that's won a gold glove there or Lars Newpar or whatever it is. Like, that is definitely a way that the Cardinals could take this. Um, but it's just so hard because they do. They have more good hitters than spots right now. And there's going to be a reason to put each and every one of them in a lineup on a different day. And that's why I said a lot in the offseason, like it would make sense for the Cardinals to trade one of these guys for pitching, add a pitching prospect or two to that name in order to entice the other team to give up their Pablo Lopez or whatever the case might be. But what was the name that a lot of people thought, and I even thought it was realistic at the time to trade Nolan Gorman, right? Because the Cardinals didn't use him very much last year. He still hit 14 home runs, but down the stretch, it was like they didn't trust him. And so I was thinking if it's going to be one of those deals where it's just going to be every day, Brendan Donovan, and then if, if Gorman is struggling, they're going to cast him aside and not let him work through those struggles. You might as well trade Nolan Gorman. But then what happened is, and I wasn't privy to it at the time, but the Cardinals gave him a list and said, hey, here's Nolan Gorman, your list to work on things in the offseason to become a great hitter. And he freaking did it. <laughs> He's become that great hitter. And so it's a great thing that John Mozeliak wasn't listening to bozos like me to say, hey, I mean, if you're going to make a trade and going to get a starting pitcher, you got too many extra infielders slash outfielders. Maybe you trade a Nolan Gorman because he's a guy that could have a lot of value. And the Cardinals are like, yeah, I know. He's a guy that could have a lot of value. We're not trading him. And they were 100% right. It would have been silly to do. And looking at the, the the guy he's turned into over a matter of just three or so months, it's impressive. Um, so that's my answer. I, I know I talked about more than just Alec Burleson there, but it all kind of relates. It's an ecosystem that inter, interconnects to each part of the roster because of the different flexibilities that guys have. Uh, Trevor says it's the Cardinals team. That's the exact time that TLR took advantage of in April during his tenure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that, but I understand what you're saying. Um, the Cardinals weren't maybe ready to go to begin this season. We talk about different pitchers, the starters not being ready for the first at bat of the, the game. Jordan Hicks not being ready for the first at bat of an outing. Although five K's over the past two days, I'm not calling Jordan Hicks fixed, but I'm not saying he's not fixed. Uh, we talked about that on KTGR on the radio show today. Wearing the shirt, by the way. Check us out, KTGR.com, 4 to 6 p.m. weekdays. Um, but but he has looked a lot better, and that would be much welcomed. I don't know if people listened to the, the show or uh, last night when I talked about it on B-Shape Daily, but I'll reiterate the conversation with Wilson Contreras last night about Jordan Hicks was like, you could look in his eyes and say and say that he was being genuine when he told you he was seeing a different Jordan Hicks than he had ever seen. He said, I've caught Jordan Hicks before. I caught him in spring. I've caught him so far this year. I didn't see anything like that before. The The way his sinker was moving, there was one strikeout where he said, I almost dropped it. I, I just didn't expect the tailing action to be there as, as significant as it was. He sounded like a guy that was giddy to see a new version of Jordan Hicks. And so I'm not saying that's indicative that it's going to remain there, but I think it's a valuable anecdote from the guy catching him to see like, hey, he might have this renewed sense of focus. And to his credit, Jordan Hicks finally talked about it last night. He kind of was escaping the media a little bit for a few days, but then waited for a good outing, and then he's like, all right, I'll talk about it. But we're obviously going to ask about some of the bad times, even though he had just had a good time. What had been different? What changed? He said he had some conversations with different people. It was widely reported that Ollie Marmel and, and Team Brass talked to him on Sunday morning uh, just about what was going on. I think that was Sunday. might have been Monday. I, my days get mixed up, so I apologize. Uh, but had a conversation about, hey, 
we're going to keep you here to work through this. It was the day that they started talking about low leverage now was going to be the new situation for Jordan Hicks. And they weren't going to send him to the minor leagues and all those things. I don't know. And, and we asked you, and I didn't, but somebody did yesterday. Hey, were you asked to go to the minors? Was that something that came up? And he said, I'd like to keep that conversation private. So we still don't really know on the record definitively whether or not the Cardinals said, hey, do you think you'd want to go down and, and work through things? Would that be okay with you? Obviously, he had the free agency situation where if they kept him down for more than a couple of weeks, he would then have another the team would have another year of control over him. And so there would need to have been uh, like a, a two way street of communication there to say, if we're going to do this, we're not going to screw you and, and get, you know, steal you for another year and, and make you forego free agency because of it, whatever. But evidently, it was not something that, that got too very far down the road if it was brought up in the first place. And I think it's fine. Initially, I was worried about it because I said, you cannot hamstring Ollie Marmel to having only seven relievers that you trust and then say, oh, we'll use Jordan Hicks when it's low leverage. And then like Monday, it was low leverage in a 6-1 to one game and they weren't getting him up. Granted, the last two days also happened to have been low leverage and he pitched in both of them and looked really good. So I think with the Jordan Hicks stuff, it ends up, it ends up being a little bit better. But, you know, that's just another example of some of the things that we're talking about when it comes to like, Guy wasn't prepared, wasn't locked in. And he said, I wasn't practicing like I play. I didn't have the intensity. I was sort of going through the motions, whether it's long toss or whatever. And he kind of caught himself, caught himself napping a little bit, I would I would say is a fair characterization. And got the wake-up call, whether it was from the, the, the mere struggles or the fact that you had to have this come-to-Jesus meeting with Team Brass about your situation. He He's looked like a different guy, and I think he's treating his all of his work with different intensity, which is good. Uh, and, and right to that line, Trevor says that the pen needs badly an off day, and they're going to get that off day tomorrow, and the bullpen does need it. Starting pitchers, like this Cardinal season could end up being fine, but it's not going to get there if the starting pitching does not start covering more innings consistently, and I'm not talking about five. Credit to you for Jake Woodford getting through his five today despite allowing a couple of home runs, but like this team absolutely is going to have to get more from its starting pitchers because you cannot be talking about a bullpen that is taxed by tax day. Like it's not, that's not good. It's not a good situation for a winning team that has aspirations uh, to, 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 you know, make a world series or whatever the, the case might be when the division might even be uh, a, a starting point at this point with where they are in the NL central. You can't get, you can't get it done without starting pitching, doing its job. And we knew that there were concerns about the pitching, the starting rotation coming into the season. Um, but it's just going to be one of those things that it's got to play itself out because as we've talked about all the guys that you're paying to be in that rotation are there especially when Wainwright comes back, that'll be especially true. And I don't think it's going to be easy to jettison any one of them to a bullpen role or to a DFA or anything like that. So those guys are just going to have to pitch better. You're going to have to dance with who brung you, and maybe you'll have room in the rotation due to injury or otherwise by June or July to make a change, but I don't think you're going to be making wholesale rotational changes barring injury. Uh, The guys are just going to have to pitch better, and that's going to fall back on the bullpen as well. If they're not able to do it, you're going to continue to see these issues with a guy like, you know, Ryan Helsley can only pitch so often and the Cardinals might need him to be more of a guy that can take the ball uh, more on back-to-backs and and not have so many off days. He's trying to preserve his health. I get it. Um, But like when you're already limited to seven guys and hopefully they can start trusting Jordan Hicks and leverage again, but the limitations are already pretty significant for this team in terms of the guys that can be used on on a given day in the bullpen. And so I was a little worried about the way the sixth thing would go. It could not have gone better over the last two days. The fact that I know they lost the first one, but you had leverage situations or non-leverage situations that you could bring him into twice and have him thrive in both of those. 
that literally could not have been drawn up any better for the Cardinals um, because th- that result could have gone a different way and we'd be having a much different conversation about Jordan Hicks right now. But the conversation is good, and that is good. Um, Brent, could the pitching struggles be attributed to the staff without Yachty, his game-calling, pitch-framing, overall presence? Um, I would say Yachty is definitely a better... I'll trust that Yachty is a better game caller than Wilson Contreras, though I don't know him to be terrible at game calling. His framing isn't great, but I think I don't know if that uh, if that's a tangible impact that we're seeing. It might be, um, and his framing's not terrible. It's just not Yachty level because Yachty was really good at it. Um, but I think his presence is not to be questioned. I as a presence, I think Wilson Contreras is is. I'm not going to say every bit of Yachty, but I'm going to say he shouldn't be keeping himself awake at night wondering if he's filling the shoes as far as a presence. The dude is a presence. There's no question about that. Um, And I think he does have a good relationship with these pitchers. But, you know, there are some tweaks that they've got to work through, and that's a Dusty Blake thing. Like, that's why you have those coaches. I don't like it when fans just blame the coach, uh, hitting coach, pitching coach, for the troubles of a team in a certain area. But I think Dusty Blake, the onus is definitely on him to get that starting rotation and say, approach-wise, you know, what are we doing that needs to maybe be different? Because we're getting shelled at the beginning of games. We're not getting deep, not being efficient enough, uh, leaving maybe too many pitches over the plate. I saw that from Woodford a couple of times today. So I think Dusty definitely does need to kick that into gear and, and get to the bottom of it. But I don't think it's a Yachty thing, but I'm not going to diminish the question, Brent, because I think it's a fair one. Wow, the water bottle did not leak on me that time. Sick. Uh, one for his last 11, six for his last 30 going into today's game. I do not know who that's talking about at all. Um, you guys are having a conversation without me. Oh, Alec Burleson. Yeah, I get it. He's he's slumped a little bit, but you know who else had slumped recently? Jordan Walker. Check out his numbers before today. Are you, are you saying he should sit? Because I don't think he should. Um, so I get it. I would stay the course, though, on guys like Burleson. But there will come a point where if it's like a, if a three-week sample, that's when in that hierarchy of needs in the outfield, you go, okay, we're going to have to switch this up a little bit, give more time to a Dylan or a Tyler over a Burleson if things aren't going well. Um, I think that's applicable to everybody except Walker. I think you really got to go the extra mile to let Walker work through stuff or send him to AAA, which they, they I don't think should ever do. So um, that's sort of the way I view that. Redbird says our pitchers are not executing like they can. Wilson has got to get used to framing our guys. Framing is important for this team. We have a lot of mechanical starters. It's true. And I got another question, too, about whether the pitch clock might be having an impact on things, right? Because these pitchers are um, are, are kind of pitch-to-contact guys, and they're getting rushed along a little bit. And maybe the, the pitch clock is having an impact on the starters as a whole because the Cardinals are a team built around um, you know, having having that rotation that's supposed to be able to get you deeper and haven't been able to get it done. So I don't know if there's a tangible way for me to point at the pitch clock and say that's happening as well. But I, I also think it's worth, like, wondering and keeping an eye on if you could notice anybody struggling with the pitch clock, um, for instance. Uh, Redbird says that the pitchers rely on their talents of sequencing and movement, which is great for letting your defense work. And that's what I mean. Like, it's a pitch-to-contact team in terms of their rotation, and it, it's backed by the type of defense that the Cardinals play. Although I don't know that the outfield defense has been overall as crisp to begin this year, but it's because they've been merry-go-rounding the outfield, and so it makes it tough. And a lot of times, if you've got Burley and left and Walker and right, no offense to those guys, they're not going to be gold glove caliber players. And so, you know, you're, you're going to take a little bit of a, of a hit there. But infield defense, absolutely. You've got a guys, uh, a group of guys that can get ground balls, and uh, they need to be able to to hit their spots to be able to get that. And it's maybe just an aspect of Yachty. That could be where the Yachty thing comes in, where he knew 
from years and years and years of working with the pitching staff and the style of pitching that they wanted to do, he knew exactly what they were trying to do and induce a ground ball to this side and do and, and let this guy's stuff play this way. I don't think Wilson's doing a bad job of it, but it might be one that just takes a little bit of time to fine tune. And that, and that might be what we're seeing right now with the team. Aaron says that his theory is things were weird when Newt returned from the WBC. He's vital to the energy, but his swagger has been subdued. I feel like he was told to tone it down. Um, that's, I mean, that's a conspiracy theory. That's a, it's a, I don't think there's anything to that because the Cardinals have talked consistently about the way they like what Newt brings to the table. And so there might be always things going on behind closed doors that we don't really know about. Right. Um, but, but that's any team. That's any team that can have those sorts of things happen. And you've got 26 guys in a room somebody's going to have a beef with somebody on some given day, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be world war three or so-and-so has lost the clubhouse to have some of those things go on. I'm not aware directly of anything like that happening, but I feel like Newt is the guy is the kind of guy that brings a clubhouse together. It was weird to me that they tried to put the, the kibosh on the grind, the pepper stuff that never needed to happen. I don't really know what the thought process was there. I think they, they maybe were the same as their struggles on the field. They were overthinking things. And I know that was like an Andrew Kisner thing where he said, well, you know, that's kind of gone international. And so we're going to, we're going to maybe retire it. That, that, that was maybe a little too much. Just trying to do too much. Like if, if you've got it and it works, if it, if, if it's broke, don't fix it. And I feel like that was weird. Can you actually think that there's a tangible effect of we weren't grinding the pepper, so we weren't hitting well? Probably not. That's con- conspiracy level, but it's a kind of fun conspiracies, right? That, that fan bases can have. Because maybe it just kind of kind of got to their vibe a little bit, or there were other things going on beneath the surface that that coincided with, and it was like, ah, the energy's weird. We got to fix the energy. That's what was so important about today, though. The energy was fantastic, and Wilson Contreras was providing a lot of it. Like, think of it this way: you had Wilson not hitting, and so he's not able to be his exuberant self. And then when he is starting to put it together, now he's throwing out base runners. Now he's stealing bags. Now he's hitting. What comes with that? He's he's talking trash to Mad Bum, and the Cardinals are winning by nine. It's good. Those are good things. Please subscribe to the channel if you've not done so already. Thank you guys so much for joining me and asking questions. You're the best. Uh, love y'all. Uh, Austin says, uh, everybody like this stream. I'm dead serious right now. <laughs> That's great. Austin, you're the man. He's he's looking out for me even when I don't look out for myself. Um, Aaron says, society would thrive if our switch hitters just didn't switch hit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, but here's the thing. If I'm Tommy Edmond and I've done it a certain way my whole life and now I'm going to bet righty, but I'm going to see the way a pitch tails from a righty, is that going to mess me up when I've never done it? That's what I wonder. And, uh, he's been asked about it before. It's not something that I feel like is respectful to ask Tommy Edmond every day, especially after he triples today from the left side. Right. Um, so it's not one of those things that I feel like people should be bugging, like media writers should be bugging Tommy Edmond with every day because it's like, all right, at a certain point we've had this conversation. This is the way I approach it and the way I do it. Um, but I hear you like it is interesting for us for on the outside to kind of talk about and wonder about, uh, Jack might be back says Redbirds. He looked nasty outside of the home run in the fourth. I know it's just the D backs, but he was flowing. I don't think there is a such thing as just the D backs. Honestly, they're a good team this year. Uh, they could be, they could be a playoff team and Trevor says the exact same thing. Yeah. That's, I think that I think the D backs could be pretty good. They, they've got a pesky sort of lineup. I feel like the Pirates are similar in that way, but I think the D-backs are better and their pitching is better than the Pirates. So 
Um, but I think there are some comparisons between those two teams, and, and Arizona's got a decent squad. They're going to be in that loaded division because the Padres are good, the Dodgers are going to be good, the Giants I don't think are as bad as they've been playing to begin the year. Uh, the Rockies suck. They're they're probably going to be pretty bad. Um, but yeah, the, don't don't overlook the D-backs. They could try to squeak into a wild card. I don't think they could win that division, but you never know. Um, Redbird says better than last year. Not a bad team at all. Connor, what's up, man? The Cardinals need the young guys to start carrying. Can't depend on Goldie and Nato to have MVP seasons. You can't depend on it, but you can kind of expect that they're going to be at least in that top 10 range, right, in the National League. Um, they should continue to be leaders in, in terms of their production. Wilson Contreras is going to produce. Nolan Gorman is a young guy who is producing. Jordan Walker is maybe not producing as much as we thought he would based on that beginning to the season hit streak, but he's going to be there. Um, Brennan Donovan, when healthy, I think needs to step it up a little bit compared to what we've seen, but he'll get there. Tommy Edmond has been producing to my eyes, has been doing a nice job overall. I know from the, the left side, it's not as robust, but been solid. Uh, so, so that's solid there as well. I, I understand what you're saying about the young guys needing to be a significant part of it. And I agree with that. And I think that's what makes this team so dangerous when they all lock it in one through nine, it's ridiculously dangerous. But I think more than anything, like a lot of the guys I named are already doing that young guys. Alec Burleson's done a nice job. I mentioned the 785 OPS. Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson need to lock it in. Those are two guys that, and Dylan's still pretty young. Tyler's more of the veteran status. You get those guys playing to their potential along with all the other people that we just named. This is going to be a wagon of a team, but you got to have everybody pulling in the same direction. Rhino, what's up, dog? Uh, DC had a great game today too. Feel like we need to see him in center every day. Otherwise, his growth is being stunted. It could get to that point, and I agree because everything else fades into play a little better around Dylan Carlson when he is manning center field. Um, Your left fielder's positioning makes sense. Your right fielder makes sense. Life makes sense in general, right? Um, He has to continue to have the offense to justify that. Today, he was two for five with a couple of RBIs, had the double there to drive in Tommy to begin the game, and he also scored a run. What's difficult is can Dylan Carlson do it against right-handed pitching? Because he was in there today because it was Mad Bum and the left-handed pitcher, and that's why he was near the top of the lineup as well. He's a he's a weapon for the Cardinals in those situations. But you look at his numbers; the OPS is still like hovering around 600, and it's you know it's it's kind of a difficult thing to justify every day. Play him because his defense is great. When you just need to be able to rely upon the offense that you're going to get from a guy like that, and I'm trying to find the splits here of what he's been left versus right. But that's another thing that the Cardinals have really been harping on with him because they know last year it was a significant issue. Uh, 764 is his OPS against lefties this year. Pretty good. Righties, it's 553. He's hitting 214 against righties in an under 300 slug. So that's why he doesn't play every day. When you've got guys like Alec Burleson doing the exact opposite, I know the defense suffers. I get it. But the Cardinals are looking at that going, man, we've, we've got too many dudes. And that might be a part of it that I've talked about where they have the ability to platoon all of this, but at what point does human nature set in where it's like, this doesn't benefit our team in the long run if we're having a bunch of guys that are not able to maximize their potential because we're not allowing them to struggle through something. It's like the minute you struggle, you know you're not going to play. And it's not Ollie Marmel's fault that's doing that. It's not like he's down on any of these guys. He's just got a bad math problem that the front office presented him with it, first of all. It's not bad. We've talked about how it can be a feature and not a bug, it can be a benefit and not a not something that subtracts from their success. But you could look at it the other way and say, these guys, human nature is going to set in, and they're going to not be able to function at their best capacity with all of this because they're they're going to feel like the, the next time I make a mistake, I'm out of the lineup. 
And we remember like guys like Colton Wong in the Matheny era. We did not like that about the way that Matheny managed things. I explained the difference here being that like there are actually guys that platoon-wise it makes sense to platoon them, but I wonder what are you subtracting from the future of this team if you don't allow guys to become complete players um, that's something that all of baseball needs to go through at this point, right? Like it, it sounds really good and analytical to platoon guys, but what happens to their psyche when you kind of put them in that box? It's a fair question. Um, Austin says, don't know about them being the same, but the bullpen decisions I see remind me a lot of Mike Matheny. Uh, I just don't agree with that. I, I think most of the time when Ollie makes a bullpen move, I go, that makes sense. And if it doesn't, he'll tell you why he did it after the game. He won't be upset and think that you're just out to get him because you didn't you know, you got a personal vendetta or something. I don't, I haven't seen that from Ollie. Hopefully he doesn't do that to me at any point, but no, I mean, I think Ollie has, has really been able to say, well, here's why we did what we did. If you don't agree with it at that point, you know, we can maybe have that conversation, but I think he's been pretty able to back up his decisions with like the analytics. He's been very open about a lot of that. So I disagree with the the take Austin about uh, the bullpen management being the same as the Matheny era personally. Um, and keep this in mind on a given day, how many guys are unavailable to Ollie that we just don't know about before the game? How many of them did he think he was going to have, but a guy like Polante the other day says, oh, I, I can't go, I've got fatigue, or Ryan Helsley should be available, but he says, I think it'd be better if I wait another day. Like, he's trying to manage to those players and, and keep them feeling comfortable with him and, and, and maintain that trust. So there is another aspect of it that we don't get to see day to day. Um, and quickly on Polante, he got screwed in this whole deal. The fact that he had to go to Memphis because of one bad game just sucks. It's the starting pitchers that are causing that, honestly, because they don't have the coverage in the bullpen with a Jordan Hicks that they can't use on a daily basis, uh, depending on the game situation. They need to be able to have guys that can cover. And so they had to send out Polante because he wasn't going to be available for a few days after the back-to-back and he struggled. And so they're like, we just got to, we got to have a, our best chance to win the rest of this series against the Diamondbacks, and ultimately didn't really need JoJo Romero today, but I just feel bad for Polante. Uh, one bad outing. Hopefully he's on his way back to St. Louis soon um, because I think he deserves to be here, honestly. Okay, we're at about an hour. I'm going to roll through the rest of these comments, and then we're going to get out of here, but I appreciate you guys so much for joining tonight. Uh, Jason says, good evening, Brennan. Jason, what's up, man? Make sure you uh, subscribe to my channel, dude. I-, I think you're new. I don't think I've seen you around here before, so what's up? How many pitchers will be buying candy bars for Cardinals fans until May, uh, Jason might be referencing a conversation we had on the big show on KTGR yesterday where uh, <laughs> where the notion is, hey, here's what we're going to do. You know the, the mobile on the run deal. You, you score six runs, you get a, a 50, 50 cent or 60 cent drink. Now we're going to have all the gas stations in the St. Louis area say if a pitcher – I forget what the rule was. Doesn't go five innings or, or gives up X amount of runs. They have to buy every Cardinals fan that was in attendance a candy bar at the gas station the next day. And I said, that's going to be an MLB Players Association issue. Uh, but that was a very funny answer that we that we got a chance to talk about on the radio. Uh, Ollie loves Burleson. It doesn't make sense. I talked about why it makes sense. I understand that you don't think so, but they like his bat. Uh, they know he's not a, the best of defenders. He's got a good arm. But yeah, he's not going to cover ground out there, and they know it. They're making different bets to begin the season, and they're adjusting as they go. Like, they're adjusting to Tyler O'Neill playing center because they're not going to keep doing it. They tried it. It didn't work, and they're not going to keep doing it. I'm telling you, you're not going to see it that often. If Carlson's in the game, you're not going to see it at all. Um, they haven't specifically said that, but watch their actions. They're coming to on it, and uh, they're going to have to come to on Burleson if he continues to struggle offensively because his bat is the reason to put him in the lineup, and if the bat's not there, well, then you don't have what you thought you did. Uh, can we say the Cardinals lost the Ozuna trade? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we could say it. 
Um, I didn't know at the time that it was going to turn out as bad as it did, but they got absolutely creamed in the Ozuna trade. It's one of the worst trades uh, in in like modern Cardinals history. But it's just like the way it went. Ozuna wasn't that good, and he wasn't a great guy to have around in the clubhouse anyway. And they gave up two aces of staff in the deal. They didn't know. Uh, it's just it's what happened, man. Uh, Brendan, how did Libertor do yesterday? Not great. I think he gave up four or five runs in like a five inning outing. It was it was a little bit of a clunker compared to what he had done. Um, but that's okay. Guys are allowed to fail at times. Like they're still human. I don't think that means his his trajectory is any different. Um, so that's kind of the way I look at it. Jason chimes back in. Is it true that if the Cardinals didn't win the World Series, there will be factions of fans that want to fire Ollie? Yeah, it's true. There are already factions of fans that want to fire Ollie, and it's April. Um, Ollie will not be fired this year. I, I I'm not going to guarantee it. Because I guess if they lose 100 games and like things happen where just unforeseen goes off the rails, I guess anything's possible. It's not going to happen. I I think that I think it would be crazy. I think it would be crazy to let go of Ollie as the manager. Um, so I, I get it. Fans are going to be mad because they're losing right now. I don't think that's a thing. Um, and and Brent says, yeah, there already is a fire Ollie club, and those guys aren't paying attention. No offense. And if you're one of those and you say, hey, you just made fun of me as a fan. DM me at bshafer12 on Twitter. I don't need to be Ollie's personal guy to say, like, I got your back because that doesn't, doesn't need to be what I do. But I do think it's interesting that I want to hear, like, okay, why? Articulate why to me you really think this way about the manager um, because I, I do believe he does a great job. I do think he's got some things to work on in terms of, uh, you know, massaging some of the these difficult situations. And I, but, I, but I think he's, got, he's convicted in the way he goes about things, and I can appreciate that about him. Uh, don't worry, Cardinals fans, when the Tigers come into town, that will be three easy wins for the Redbirds. His beloved Tigers are bad, so bad. Yeah, Jay, I, uh, I, I'm I, feeling bad that I'm not going to be seeing you because I don't think I'll be at that series, but uh, you think it's just because I'm trying to duck you, and that's not the case. Uh, Aaron says, that's what I'm thinking about with Newt. What's up, Aaron? Appreciate you, man. Uh, Brent, as we wrap things up here a little bit, says, uh, wish we had a super vet to be our utility infielder, tired of Modder. And DeYoung, maybe an Andrews or a Carpenter return. Well, Carpenter can't play defensively the, the spots that Modder and DeYoung can play. Uh, give DeYoung a chance. He's going to be back soon, and he's going to be in the Modder role probably. And Modder's done fine. Uh, you know, nothing nothing to write home about, but he's done okay. And, uh, you know, DeYoung is a veteran at this point, so I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Rhino, one last steam, one last comment. Yes, the team still has you worried. That's fine, man. Uh, I think they need to at least go 5-5 five and five on this long West Coast swing, and if they don't, That'll be concerning. Uh, you'd love to get six and four, but try to at least tread water and then get back home and start laying the wood to teams, and things can be okay from there, I think. Cameron might wrap the podcast on this from Cameron. Does the organizational depth of infield seem to be lacking? I know there's win, but there doesn't seem to be many good options for the big team to plug in. I don't really think that's true. Um, I understand where you're coming from. Like, like Taylor Motter was a guy they just brought in from the outside, and he's in his, you know, he's like 33 years old. So he's just kind of a, a, a floater. Um, and a lot of times you'd like to have young guys coming up. And, but like, to be fair, a year ago at this time, what was Brendan Donovan to you? What was Nolan Gorman to you? They had two guys graduate to major league status. And those are the guys that you put in. And that's behind a Tommy Edmond that was already on the team as well, that, that they developed and, and were able to bring up. So, I actually don't agree with the sentiment. I understand it because you, but, but like when you're talking about modern to young, like guys, if you're that focused on the 26th man on a 26 man roster, there are bigger problems to be talking about. Right. And I, I think every team in the league would love to have a, 
a, a rock star as their 26th man, but that's what it is. It's your utility infielder. It's your Edmundo Sosa, right? That guy doesn't have to be the best player on your team. He has to be the 26th best player on your team. And I think Modder's filling the role admirably. I think Paul Young has a chance to add even another layer to it when he gets back. And if he doesn't, they will eventually have to cut ties and say, all right, this was this has been fun, Paulie, but it's not working out. But they are going to give him that last chance, and I think they might as well. They're paying him, and he is a good defensive shortstop. He can play third. He can play second. There's value to that. It's the end of bench guy, though. It doesn't have to be a superstar. Cardinals fans, historically, for some reason, they fixate on that spot on the roster. Uh, don't worry about it. When Paul DeYoung comes back, everybody's going to have sarcastic things to say about it, but the reality is it's fine. Like, it's not it's not the end of the world, and it could actually be a positive because Ollie Marmel is not going to shove him into the everyday lineup on, on five occasions each week. Like, no, he's going to be doing exactly what Taylor Motter is doing right now, which is hardly playing when everybody else is healthy. But he's good to have his coverage on, on multiple positions. So, and, and you can honestly give him a pinch hit at bat late in the game as well against the lefty because he's historically had the ability to hit for some power against lefties too. So don't worry about the infield. Mason Wynn, when he comes, I think you'll be looking at it differently going, oh, man, the fact that they just brought up Wynn, Edmund, Donovan, and Nolan Gorman for middle infield from the last like three years or whatever, that's pretty impressive that they've been able to to build that up from within the way that they have uh, without necessarily always prioritizing it highly in the draft. Like Mason Wynn was a uh, a second round pick, but otherwise I don't, I don't th- I'd have to go back and look at each of those guys. I don't think they were like top, top of the line draft picks. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Thank you guys so much for a very robust conversation tonight. If you haven't done so already, before you leave, subscribe to my channel on YouTube, go then and check out Spotify, go check out Apple podcasts, subscribe to B shape daily. And you guys are some of my best fans. If you're always watching these streams, consider patreon.com slash B Schaefer 12. If you want to kick it a little bit extra my way, and uh, help support me as I grow this thing. So thank you guys so much for listening, for watching, for commenting, for liking, and we will talk to you next time on Be Shape Daily. Peace!